Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from the fine folks here at the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm one of your co-hosts for this episode, Justin Gard Gerber, a former editor-writer at Consequence of Sound and now a full-time dreamer. But like Ev, Ruth, and Peter's nightmarish experience in the shed, I too appear to be in a permanent nightmare of my own because I'm on yet another episode covering Stephen King's The Tommyknockers, this time the 1993 ABC two-part miniseries. But before we get started, let's head around and introduce ourselves. And you know what? The two people who are joining me this week were not on our book episode, and I know that they've both read the book. So after introducing yourselves, why don't you go ahead and give us your Pennywise clown noses for, from, from <laughs> one to five on the Tommyknockers novel. Uh, let's, let's start over overseas, a.k.a. in Austin, Texas. With uh, who, who is this on the phone? Uh, this is Dan, Davey Brown, Caffrey. Um, you know, had I been on the Tommyknockers episode, which through fault of my own, I was originally supposed to be and couldn't, I would have given it three bright red Pennywise Clowns. It's the book, that is. Wow. I recognize that it's flawed, um, but I do admire its darkness, and I think when taken as an addiction metaphor, which is kind of unfair because I feel like so many of Stephen King's books are addiction metaphors, but he's really explicitly coming out hard on being like the book that got him to stop doing drugs. Uh, with this one, um, I think there's a lot to like in the book, even though it's very messy. Um, so I'm going to go, yeah, three three bright red Pennywise clown noses. Well, I, I gave my rebuttal on my, in the last episode. Uh, Mac, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mackenzie, magic trick Gerber. Mm. And <laughs> I, I had a really hard time reading the book. The first third's uh, really good, in my opinion. I, I'd have to give it, I give it ultimately one and a half bright red Pennywise clown noses, um, mostly due to uh, it not being very good. Uh, <laughs> wow. Some deep commentary here in the I, I agree with what Justin, I believe, said was that, you know, this is someone who has had all the hits and to, to, to write something this out all over the place at this point, it's just, it's sloppy and no one was there reeling him in and saying, hey, 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 Stephen, maybe this shouldn't go here. Maybe this should go at the end. Uh, <laughs> just blows my mind. Fair well, enough. Real, fair real, enough. Real quick, I, I will say, I, I almost look at it like I look at Neil Young's experimental albums. Like they're not cohesive and they're not great, but they give kind of a fascinating insight into the what the artist was going through at the time. Although you could argue The Shining does that as well, and is yeah, much, much better. But also, what, what did uh, those what did Neil, you guys all give it rating? Oh, I gave it one. I think it's what his did, worst book. What did um, Randall give it? Randall gave it three and a half out of five, and Mel gave it two and a half out of five. Although Mel, as Sally, Mel hated it much more than I did during the episode, but she gave it two and a half. So that's a whole other episode. I will say this though, Dan, are Neil Young's albums 600 pages? (laughs) No, they're like 30 minutes usually. Thank you very much. (laughs) That's a good point. Well, let me ask you this question. Have either of you seen the Tommyknockers miniseries? And if so, how long had it been since you last saw it? Dan? It had been, no joke, 
I was seven or eight when it came on. No, that can't be right. No, you I were probably nine, nine or so. Yeah, nine when it came. I watched it when it came on at my grandparents' house, um, and I was looking forward to going into this because I remember liking it quite a bit as uh, from when I was a kid. But um, within about fifteen minutes, I was like, "All right, I was a kid. I, I didn't know Dick back then." Because, <laughs> well, we'll get to it. But yeah. yeah, so I had seen it, but it had it had been gosh, uh, I'm thirty four now. My just do some Gerberlytics. What would he? Ooh, how long? Uh, Years. Dan, I'm going to say it's been 26 years. 26 years since I've seen the Tommy Knockers. Mac? Um, I saw it when it first came on as well, probably with you. Um, Had to have been. It was um, right around the time I was really, really getting into Aliens, you know, with X-Files and stuff like that. And I was so I was thrilled to see it. And I remember enjoying it as a kid. Much more. The only things that stood out to me was the doll sequence and the end, obviously, because I was like thrilled to see the the Tinox, as I like to call them. Um, <laughs> oh, so it's uh, I can already see the initials. You know, T-K-N-O-X. I, I I honestly I don't I don't remember loving it as much as as the stand or it or anything like that. But I I did remember liking Jimmy Smith in it, and I liked I just liked Aliens. So I was really excited to revisit it. I was sad to not be on the book episode because I did read this one alongside Justin and and some of the other crew. Uh, and I was sad to not be on that episode. However, I get to get to talk about the Tommy Boys now, so it's all at long all last. So it was all worth it to be able to be on this episode to talk about the mini series. <laughs> I've been looking forward. I've been looking forward to this for two years. Don't take this away from me. When you say uh, Teenox, I'm thinking of uh, <laughs> my, the Minox from Empire Strikes Back, which Ooh. are those aliens that attach themselves to oh, the that's ship. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're cousins, <laughs> the Teenox and the Minox. I bet you a drunk Stephen King was watching Empire and was you thinking, know what? yeah, they say the Tinox. I think they are cousins <laughs> because they like to chew on power cables, and uh, the Tinox yeah. are very into uh, power. Uh, they, uh, we'll say this. They both <laughs> chew on my patience. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, this has been a fantastic introduction, so let's move on to our next section. Let's call up our old friend, Mike Hanlon, at the Dairy Public Library. Mike Hanlon, if you see... Excuse me, sir! Do you have Prince Albert in a can? You do? Well, you better let the poor guy out. Yo, Mike Hanlon, did I have to go? Did I have to get cleaned up? Tell him. Tell him. Tell him I'll see him tonight. Get out. Last chance, don't you? Get out. Get out. So... I scour the internet, and there's not a lot of information <laughs> out right, there, right. believe it or not. This is some, you know, deep state stuff going on here. It's hard to find a lot of information about Tommyknockers, but I do want to rattle off some information about the, uh, most specifically the crew behind the film, yes. and, and to try to get into the mindset of where they were when they get, went to production on this. And you have to keep in mind, ABC's It miniseries, which was a two-part miniseries in 1990, was a huge success. You know, for God's sakes, there's a documentary coming out pretty soon about the making of it. Pennywise became an icon, especially the Tim Curry performance. And this is only like five years after the book came out. This is very short. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, is very 1993. Short, so. so in between ABC's It, there were a couple other CBS productions that came out. There was the um, Sometimes They Come Back movie came out. Mm. Then Stephen King's original Golden Years limited series came out. Oh. But this was the first ABC King property since It. And so they went into it with a lot of promise. They went with a lot of hype behind it because, okay, we figured out the formula. We're going to bring back Lawrence D. Cohen, who wrote it, 
Mm-hmm. And also he wrote, you know, something called Carrie, Brian De Palma's Carrie. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we're going to bring in Louis Teague, a very good film director who directed Cat's Eye, Cat's Eye and Cujo. Cujo. So he's got the King background. We got some King background people here. But it all went south pretty quick because according to an old copy of Imagia Movies Magazine, which I think was an offshoot of uh, Cinema Fantastique, Cinema okay. Fantastique, you know, remember that old? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Might still be around, but I haven't read a magazine in years. <laughs> uh, the producer of the film, Frank Koenigsberg, said, Teague shot a week's worth and was replaced due to a different concept of the project. Now, Sounds what like the uh, hell? irreconcilable differences. What was the, what would that have been? I don't know, because obviously the script, when you start shooting these movies, I always get confused. When you start shooting these movies, you know what the script is, you have the cast in place, so what could have possibly gone wrong? I don't know. Maybe he realized it was a real piece of shit that he was on. I don't know. But here's the most important thing, and I think that this might be the, the major reason for me, and maybe for the rest of you, as to why this doesn't work, is because he was replaced by a, a prestigious Australian journalist turned TV director named John Power who really didn't do a lot before and didn't do much after. He died, actually, a few years ago. Oh, wow. And, and here's the thing. I thought that the, the budget was slashed or something like that. But from, from what I could find, both it and the Tommyknockers, both had the same budget of $12 million. So why, I asked, I asked the two of you, why does Tommyknockers look so cheap? Dan? That is a great question because I, my immediate response was going to be, Oh, well, they had more effects they had to worry about because of all the light and the aliens, but not really. Actually, I think it probably has more sequences where they would that would require like, a big budget. And even Tommy Knockers, the, the day-to-day stuff looks cheap, too. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's very <laughs> – my biggest beef with this movie is, like, the camera never moves. There's, like, no there's, – there's no artistry in terms of the cinematography. Everything is just kind of stagnant, and yeah, everything is that weird um, – not, I don't know, like daytime movie quality about it. It's no, just like I agree. Week, it, right? com- yeah. it comes across as a, a gun for hire yeah. situation, right, Mac? So I don't, yeah, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's a reason given that they have the same budget. I mean, it's funny bringing up these id comparisons. Even the opening credits, the title card is the same thing as it. It's the Stephen King and the title coming together, and then they have that kind of almost carnivaly sort of music. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I wish I had, a, I wish I had an answer for you. The only thing I could really find online about. Um, the Tommyknockers was those funny behind-the-scenes photos of the aliens. Um, I, I couldn't even find much <laughs> that we've all posted. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't know, Mac. Yeah, it's do? shot in. I mean, I think it was what was it, shot in New Zealand. I didn't get the word. I think some. Shot. I think it was shot in New Zealand, and so it's like this this town that they just kind of took over. Uh, but why does it seem like there's no one in this town? Like Carradine sh- pops up in like seven scenes, and it, uh, seemingly. For no reason, being acting like different people almost like it, it, it's it, we couldn't get more actors in this movie uh, for twelve million dollars. I mean, think about how many actors are in it. Think about how lived in that town feels. Yeah, this does not feel lived in. It feels like everyone's just like there for the weekend. Do you know what I mean? It feels like there's like seventeen people in this entire movie. And why is everyone extras. at the post office? That is the most happening post office I've ever seen <laughs> in my in a small town. Holy Hot moly! I think. Uh, um, I mean, I know why I would go uh, with with Joe there, but well, of course, I think. I think aside <laughs> from the the big uh, town square sequence, I think the, the scene with the most characters is between the magic show and the post office. <laughs> Everything else is just like, oh, here's two or three people talking, and then. But even then the town's fair, which I have a, a great. I can't wait till we talk about that. That sequence 
or or I guess when they all gather at the church, you know, she, Bobby's just talking to like Tracy Lords and Carradine the whole time. Like everyone else is just standing there. I'm like, aren't there other? Couldn't we give some offhanded lines to some of these townspeople? It's so weird. It's 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 very it feels very soap opery, and we'll get well, into that later on yeah, too. Oh, but yeah. Maybe the, the only thing I can think of is how how hot was Jimmy Smith then? Was NYPD Blue a, a thing back then? Like this did, was, was either he... the I think this is right before NYPD Blue, but he was still kind of coming off the success of L.A. Law. Which was uh, yeah, a really successful they, late '80s, early salaries, '90s show. Salaries were expensive. I don't know if that figures into the budget or not. Or maybe, maybe those alien suits were a pretty penny. Who knows? Well, yeah, I'll say this: know. little nerdy Justin Gerber, when he saw Jimmy Smith was going to be in, I thought I did think, "Oh wow, Jimmy Smith is in this." I do remember. And thinking I wonder that. if this is. I think this might be the first thing I I had seen him in. Had to have been. And I so but and you know I and I thought he was great in the in the in general. I mean I yeah I we'll liked, get to I him later. Smith on. a lot. So. We'll yeah, it's really I think for strange. me. I think the big thing is upon the research today. I think it made a lot of sense. I mean, I'm not saying Tommy Lee Wallace is Steven Spielberg or anything, but he's an absolute film director first and foremost. So when he did that TV miniseries, I think he was able to bring a lot of his vision for the a, a bigger uh, landscape. Not to get once again too film nerdy here. And then Louis Teague is the same. He's much more well known for his his big screen work. And so when you get somebody like John Power, who is absolutely just somebody who I guess was working on the. Uh, I don't even think he was working on the production at all. This sounds like he was just called in to work on it. Who doesn't have a very uh, filmic eye at all, and that's Dan. That's why I feel like there's not a lot of movement because there's not a lot of vision. I think that they were just kind of on a certain schedule and they had to knock out scenes and, yeah, and that was it. it out. And it shows, and it really, really shows poorly. And, and like to liken the the way the movie actually looks. I'm not just talking about like the set design, which also looks pretty cheap. But I, I try to think of. Um, Think of if you can go back in the in the Wayback Machine. Let's go back in time together. Like, like the way Picket Fences looks is like it in terms of like the cinematography, I guess, and the lighting. And then this looks like um, Judging Amy or something. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about quality of either show. I'm talking about like the way it looks, like the yeah, way yeah. the way the light reflects off of certain scenes, and the way like the shadows are never quite really in shadow. You can tell they're on a set. Anyway, that's. That's my, that's my briefing on why this movie falls apart, honestly, from the onset. I don't think – the cast is actually pretty good in this, but um, actually I might be being a little hyperbolic there. And, uh, <laughs> and the music was done by a, a former member of Tangerine Dream, I believe. I wow. Think he used to be the drummer. Oh, really? I think and the music's so you, awful. you think it would be like good. And he went on to score like Babylon 5 and some things like that and obviously had more of a career down the line. But yikes. Maybe he was just, um, you know – teething for this one. <laughs> yeah. I have to say something. This isn't going to work for anybody listening, but my brother got new glasses. <laughs> and he now looks like, what if Warren Zevon had short hair his entire career? Because he's, like he's, cool. like he's got like a good beard. I he's think got I the glasses, a black like, shirt. I'm like, like, wow, Warren like Zevon's Cat here. Stevens right now with the, the beard and the glasses. He's like a... <laughs> Like 1990s Cat Stevens, yeah, so yeah, yeah. we'll get into that later on. <laughs> did your, uh, did your song lyrics suddenly become sarcastic and uh, caustic? And, yeah, the and aliens have come to town. They're gonna pull out your teeth. Oh, uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, I wish I wish uh, Yusuf had done Yusuf slash Cat Stevens had done the soundtrack to the Tommy. Well, that was his big comeback oh, after he I'll, converted. I'll, I'll try to write a Tommy song in the vein of Cat Stevens. Should we call him T-Nox the rest of this episode? I think oh, we're yeah, about I to think, move on. Uh, I think oh, I'm ready to yeah. talk about some T-Nox. Let's talk about some T-Nox and some of the T-Nox friends and enemies in a segment we call Heroes and Villains. 
I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! So I'd like I'd like to kick this off by mm. talking about our our two leads and some of the differences there. We've got I guard. thought it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree with you, Mac. I th- let's talk about not only the characters in this who we're all familiar with because they're all from the book. Yeah. But let's really get into the differences and whether or not they work for yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. So I felt like for the most part it's it's pretty faithful. Obviously, for certain reasons, they condense some things and change something. Like Bobby and Guard are living together; they're like a couple, like yeah. right out the gate. Makes a huge difference. Which is, it makes a huge difference in their dynamic, I think, too. Um, I, I mean, I, I like the book over this, but you don't have enough. You don't have the time to do that. You have two, a two-part miniseries to tell this whole story. So I understand why they did that. Um, I, I think it's interesting all of the choices they made with the alcoholism with Guard. In terms of like how he's not, he's constantly really battling it, and they don't shy away from that. And mm. then sometimes he he beats it, like when he just is so crazed, and then just dumps the alcohol down the sink. You know, um, he's much more sympathetic in this than he is in the book. Yes, because in the book, I mean, he is just up until the end, he is just drinking his life away. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. Well, a couple big things, Mac. In addition to the fact that. Yeah, he actually lives in Haven and talks about going home to Haven. Right, right. Is the fact that there is no mention of him ever shooting his wife. Oh, that's right. Which that is, is very which right. is probably for the best. I think that was a huge <laughs> yeah. that was a huge issue yeah. that Mel took with the uh huge issue yeah. that Mel took with the book yeah. was that very idea and how they kind of It's they, they don't so much gloss I mean it's mentioned a lot, but they don't really that's such a weird go into thing. much of a retribution for that. Um He only gets drunk for one night. But he never really falls off the wagon, whereas in the book, and personally, I think this is actually an improvement, because in the book, we're introduced to this, these two characters the first, like, 100 pages or so. And then we spend the next 300, 400 pages of Gar just really, really drunk and digging. Yeah. So at least in this, he's a more active character. Dan, would you, would you, do you understand where I'm coming from in that regard? No, totally. Um, yeah, and I think that's just, like you said, easier to pull off in a, in, in a book. I think it's easier to pull off um, this kind of obsession and making digging seem interesting. And also his backstory, because I agree, I, I I think their relationship is a lot more complex in the book, and there's a lot more ups and downs in their past, which I think makes them more sympathetic in a way. But it's yeah, it would be kind of confusing and hard to explain that in a movie. So no, I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. Well, I got really distracted because I'm, I'm throwing my brother a pin. Oh, he's found one. This is, you know, we're very professional here at the Losers Club. <laughs> Shaking, talking. Down. Yeah, kill some time, Dan. No, we got some things yeah. here. And in the, yeah, so in, in the role of guard is the aforementioned Jimmy Smiths. I will say this about Jimmy Smiths. Anytime I, found, I find out that he's going to be in a show I watch or is going to be in a show that's debuting, I'm very excited. So excited. <laughs> I'm very excited. Love Smiths. Um, of course, he plays the, the great Bail Organa. In episode two, Attack of the Clones, uh, but he's good in it. Like he's he's, he's fine good. In it. He's good. He also reprises his role in one of the one of the better films of a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, Rogue One, Rogue Star Wars story. <laughs> but no, whenever Jimmy Smith shows up, you know I'm on board. We we've got in recent years he's shown up on Brooklyn Nine Nine. He showed up in the later seasons Sons of a of show Anarchy. called Sons of Anarchy. He showed up on a on one of Dan's favorite shows, Dexter. Love Dexter. Season three. Chilling. Chilling. <laughs> Mysteri- Mysteri- mischievous. <laughs> uh, yeah, obviously, though, his, his, big, his big role was in the 90s with NYPD Blue. And then also um, 
West Wing. And the West Wing in later the seasons. Last, he's he's a great, Wing. great uh, go-to TV actor. And he's he's up for anything. And I, I, I really love him a lot. I think he's great. And actually, I think he's actually, as I say, actually 15 times. I like him in this role. I, I think he gives it all he's got. Does anybody disagree with that? Uh, I don't think he's not the problem with this movie. No. I, no, I mean, I would say the acting in Jet, like, it's not like the acting is amazing in the movie, but it's it's one of those cases of not getting a ton to work with. You know what I mean? 100% agree. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying that actors can't elevate lesser material. Well, let's imagine, <laughs> think of how shitty this miniseries is, and imagine if it was with someone who wasn't Jimmy Smith, who was lesser than Jimmy Smith, or E.G. Marshall, or whoever. You know, it would be probably even worse, I'm guessing. I always yeah. liken it to I always make my Army Hammer joke, which isn't nice because I think Army Hammer is actually a good actor, but yeah, yeah, I think he's so. very like just kind of vanilla Superman. But anyway, but hey, you know what? The yin to the yang of guard is Bobby, Bobby Anderson, played by Marge Helgenberger, who species, a sp- species own. Speaking of One aliens, yeah. but of course she found great, great, great fame. Um, after this in CBS's CSI, which I think she was on for over a decade. Oh, really? That's her big thing. She was opposite that William yeah. Peterson. For those of you CBS and you CSI fans out there, I know there's our crossover with CSI is pretty good from all the stats to tell us. So, you know, I I liked her as Bobby too. I think they're they're not the problem for me in this movie. No, they're either dynamic, they're dynamic or anything. Well, uh, it's mostly the rest of the town. But the Bobby change is pretty significant too. You think about it. because in the book, by the time oh, Guard yeah. shows up in Haven, she's already changed. She already looks awful, but in this, she looks normal for the entire first half. Well, that's what I thought was interesting. That was a big change that they made. Was the, the entire first half? Nothing's really happening to the townspeople. Not at all. They're just either really smart or you know. So it was like I kind of like that in a sense. I I felt like it wasn't doing its job in terms of the scare factor because. Nothing's happening to these people. All, all they're being is gifted with this this technology and this this um, the, these these great gifts in terms of uh, studying over myself. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Ultimately, <exciting. laughs> I, I was confused about that. But I again, this is a two part miniseries, so I kind of like the fact that I, I wish it ended with like one of their teeth falling out rather than it opening the the second one with the tooth. Yeah. You know, because I think that would have been like, ooh, something's not quite right. You know, Dan, what do you think about the the kind of prolonged becoming as opposed to the more uh, the quicker becoming from the novel? Um, <laughs> I'll say this: I could have used a lot more stuff happening in that first half. Um, even where we get to the like when we get to that break, I don't feel like much has happened at all. Which, once again, if you had really good non-supernatural material to work with. Like if the scenes in the post office were compelling, that's one thing. But if nothing else in that first half, I'm like, all right, can just throw some aliens in here. Like let's, let's see some of the crazy shit that happens in the novel. And yeah, I, th- I think it real. I just, the, uh, the TV thing is that, is that like the craziest thing that happens in the first half? The fireworks, the I guess. First but. half. Well, that's, I, I think the TV thing trumps that. And then obviously Davy's disappearance, but I it, you know, well, it's I think the biggest thing is, is Becca <laughs> in the insane asylum, like minutes. Well, yeah, after, I'll talk about that. Minutes but, after that happens. So well, weird. Well, it's, we are supposed to think it's like a day or two later. She's oh, lost her mind. Yeah. But Still. I think the monkey's paw for me is I, I complained about the book in which we never really spend time with the townspeople at all before they're villains. And that was my big problem with Firestarter, and it's a big problem I've got with this. I don't care about the behind-the-scenes machinations of villainry. I'm more interested in them behind the scenes or being observed by the protagonists. And we get that more in the miniseries. 
It's still boring as hell. Yeah, we, they, they, <laughs> they start... It tries to solve a problem by creating another problem. Can we move to two other characters? Yeah, let's do it. Ruth and Dugan. I mean, you get them right out the gate. That's better in this, and in my opinion. And that romance is... It's a little... It's written so awful. It's awful, yeah. It's awful. But I, I sound <laughs> I'm contradicting myself, but what, what I like about the first half... and the, I know it's, maybe it's been a little while since you've read the book, Dan, but the first half at least tries to make this more of an ensemble... Yeah. Whereas Tommyknockers, the book, doesn't know what it's trying to do. It's been so yeah. much time with the two of them in the beginning. Like half and, Bobby and Guard. Yeah, and then, and then they kind of death. have chapters for, for Ruth, and then, but then she's gone. They have these single chapters for people who are eliminated immediately or kind of disposed of. But here they do try to set up an ensemble. They, they yeah. give a lot more time to the Joe and Nancy. <laughs> we'll get to that, to the Joe and Nancy stuff. Oh, yeah. And obviously, yeah, Ruth and Monster Dugan, a lot more with the Hillmans. So I, I, I get what they're going for, and I think Cohen did a good job in it of introducing a large ensemble um, for both parts, even though the second part's not as successful. And I think what they fail at doing is make is make is in that time you still don't care about any of these characters. I know. Like I, I don't like. You know, Carradine's family at all. I haven't boned to pick with Carradine in this. I, yeah. I, I think he's awful in this. And I think he, he every scene he pops up in, I'm just, I, I just want to move to the next scene. Well, let's, it's, let's, we'll, we'll jump around here. We won't, okay, we won't miss yeah, out anybody, sorry. I promise. But let's talk about Robert Carradine here. Now, Robert Carradine, of course, is best known. As well, first of all, he's he's brother to <laughs> Keith Carradine and David Carradine. Love Keith Carradine and. He's Louis Skolnick from the Revenge of the Nerds saga, yeah. the quadrilogy. And that Lizzie McGuire's dad. Whoa, oh. breaking. Oh. It, it now, is, yeah. What had he done right before this? He was doing he, the Revenge of the Nerds 3 and 4 for Fox. When was yes. uh, The Long Riders, which is that oh, movie man. where they... Oh, that, that was, was, that was before Revenge that, of the Nerds. Yeah. I, actually, was, I really, really like him in that movie quite yeah. a bit. Here's the thing. I think he's also very good and you could say he's like an 80s comedy icon in terms of the Revenge of the Nerds like if you see right. that picture of him in Revenge of the Nerds you know it's Revenge of the Nerds yeah but yeah he's miscast here I, I think he's quite bad in this yeah, I'm not sure how you feel it's, it's, him, it's tough it's a hard watch yeah well because it's a lot of him like getting angry and pissed off but he's still got that kind of nebbish quality about yeah, him you know yeah. like which, which makes it I think difficult to watch once again lo- love Bobby Carradine as an actor but uh I, I think the material it, it never gets above like him just being kind of annoyed all the time. Right. I, I, I wonder what a young if this was if this was filmed maybe five or six years earlier, what a Keith Carradine would have done in this performance. I think he would have been a superior. Love Keith Carradine. Oh, but yeah. then again, I would not want him to be in this because he's still not given a whole lot to do. You know, <laughs> that's that's my. That's I would my have rather had Keith be guard, but. On, on, Bryant Brown. No, Mac, yeah, he, Mac, if it's like a whole Carradine family, like yeah, Keith is guard. Yeah. It's like the long, it's the long riders all over again, where all the the sibling actors. <laughs> yeah. David, David's Dugan. Mac, real quick, we don't have to spend <laughs> yeah. too much time because she doesn't get a lot to do in the in the miniseries, so we're not going to give her a lot of time on this podcast. But who plays? Is it Ruth? Uh, no, what's her name? Um, Bryant Brown's. What's the wife's? What's her name again? She oh. got just sulks in the movie. She doesn't get a lot to do. It's Marie Brown's. It's Annie Corley, and and I knew her immediately because she is a pinnacle character in episode one of West Wing. <laughs> oh, she's the obnoxious she right wing. Um, yeah, no, she, no shots to all of our. All she's of our Mary listeners. Marsh. There we go. She's the the really intense right wing um, uh, fanatic that uh, the the president. Uh, uh, has a big James speech. at the end of that uh, that episode, and of course that president is played by 
Martin Sheen Martin from Sheen. the Dead Zone and Firestarter. That's right, so that's right. full circle. Um, and and I, I I don't mind her in this. I think she's fine. You know, but she she's not given a lot. Um, it's just weird. It's weird. It's weird what we were talking about with everyone not going full Tommy and um, and deteriorating and all that stuff. And it's very obvious why they made that choice because you know obviously a lot of these people just like walk away and they're alive and they're fine, <laughs> which is not how the book ends oh, at all. Yeah, we'll get to that later. So too. Um, yeah, but she she's she's fine in this. Well, I, let's keep it in the Hillman family and talk about. Hey, you know what? The great E.G. Marshall as F. Hillman. I think it's a great casting. I think it's good casting, but again, this this script is just rough. I mean, when he runs into the the doctor's uh, room and is like, "What's happening to my son?" It's just like, mm. "What? What are we doing here?" Yeah, it's it's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, I had the same tough. thought when uh, when he saw, I think it's in part two where he's praying for Davy to come back. Oh and man, goes, what is on. that scene? It oh, and, like and that music so and the music in the background. Once again, is so bad. Oh, it's so Hallmark movie. Maybe that's why it feels cheaper because it's it's one of Stephen King's most non sentimental books, and the movies, even though it's kind of close to the novel, manages to be really sentimental. And well, yeah, that's it, the thing. Like the book, there's nothing sentimental about the book at all. I mean, it's pretty yeah, grim, I even if he doesn't remember doing it. But but on top of that, it's. The miniseries tries to be really sexy throughout, which the well, book does yeah. not try to do but it, at all. But it, it fails. It's oh, well, and then, I, I'm looking forward to getting into our little uh, yeah. well, moving on. moving on to the the children of the, of the family. I think I think the kid Paul McIver plays a good Davy. Sure, I think he's I a good Davy Brown. Yeah. Davy and Hilly. I are care good. about him. Hilly is okay. What I want to talk real quick about that scene when he's doing magic in the schoolroom. And the powder puffs up on the, the the professor's face, and he starts saying things like, "Just give me another chance." What? What are you talking about? Are you trying out for something? What do you What do you mean? Give me another chance? I guess give like, him another so chance weird. to do the trick. I think I know, but it's just it comes off so strange. Well, <laughs> no, 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 what it is, and, and and I didn't really have this realization until until talking to you guys. I think what it is is that. It's trying really hard to do that stand or Salem's Lot kind of thing where, where we spend a lot of time just building up the town and building up the town. And it's not that these scenes need to be extraordinary to be interesting. Stephen King actually writes like common people dialogue really well. But this movie adaptation does not. And so I, I think because of that, that's, that's why that first half especially seems so boring because like it is just – like this teacher scene, like why? Yeah, like you said, why are we supposed to be invested in this? The kid, like the kid, fails his magic trick, and uh, I don't. Know, I think maybe we're supposed to feel his adolescent pain or something, but I sure don't. <laughs> I, I don't feel a connection to any character in the, the miniseries or the novel. Um, I will say that. So let's talk a little bit more, though. We mentioned them earlier. Mac mentioned them earlier. Uh, Ruth, who is who goes by Ruth Merrill in this, and not Ruth McCoslin for some reason. I'm always puzzled by when they change people's names. Yeah, same here. They do that in. Um, I don't know. I was watching the uh, Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings a, a couple weeks ago, and they alternate bec- between calling Saruman, Saruman, and Aruman. It's like really weird. I, I, I don't know, but they do that a lot in movies. They'll make these slight changes, and I'm never sure why. Maybe there was like a John McCausland who was a serial killer when they made this movie or something. I don't know. This miniseries. I don't know. But I like but Joanna Cassidy. I always like Joanna Cassidy. Joanna Cassidy for genre fans is, of course, the the replicant stripper yeah, from Blade Runner. Yeah, I I think it's really strange though that scene on, on the park bench when she's talking to Dugan and he's like, "Oh, no one would ever marry me," and she l- blatantly says, 
well, I would. And then they get interrupted. And then when they come back, she's like, I've got to go home. And he's like, okay, what? <laughs> no, she just said that she'd marry you. And then later on, he's like playing coy again. Like, oh, well, I'm probably just acting like an idiot. I'm like, no, she just told you like a day ago that she would marry you. It's this so is uh, an example of like, like I said, uh, what I yearned for in the book was building out these characters so we would feel more uneasy seeing them become quote but it's unquote, like become, they don't know what they're doing but they don't know what they're in this there's there's not a lot of time uh i like i like uh what's his name the guy who plays dugan the guy who plays dugan as we will now call him for the rest of our lives i forgot the actor's name it was john something but he was also oh, john he's best ashton. known for john ashton best known for the beverly hills cop beverly films. hills cop yes yes he's the kind of uh curmudgeon cop who has to kind of uh look over axel foley and yeah. his partner i think is judge reinhold uh i mean he goes out I thought that was one of the only effective scenes in the movie. Well, obviously in the book, he gets <laughs> hypnotized into killing himself, so suspicion is not brought to the town. But in this, in typical Stephen King fashion, a soda machine is his downfall. And it, and not a floating soda machine, but an exploding soda machine. He really does love those, those soda machines. Or does he hate them somehow? Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently. He's, fear, he's fearful of them. And another big change here is in the shed... It's not the character mm-hmm. of Sissy, who is not, thank God, who is not in this yeah. miniseries at all. That's a major upgrade, yeah. by the way. Yeah. The exclusion of Sissy. Of Sissy. <laughs> the exclusion of many outside forces is a is a upgrade for the miniseries. Yeah. But it's Ruth in the shed, yeah, and I Ruth, don't think Ruth uh, survives that She shed. does not. No. Which is weird. Why Why yeah. did they choose to do that? You know? We'll get to that, yeah. too. But um, So those are the two things. Um, Somebody else who actually I think it's a lot more to do and is, is a better character as opposed to the book is Becca Paulson. Mac, you look up her name. This actress yeah. has been in, was in, Alice, big Be- thing was, Alice Beasley. Alice Beasley. Her big show was Moonlighting in the eighties. Um, I like, she's a, she's a good character actress and I, I like her in this role. Um, I, unfortunately I just feel like, I like when they're like dressed and they're dolling up Ruth. I mean, they do they do try really hard to make you like these. And people. she works at the police station. She's not just some st- like you know King describes these quote unquote like these grotesque overweight women in his books who are like right. Jesus freaks. And that's literally what she is in uh, in the book. Yeah, but, but here she's just I, she 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 she's a working woman. She's she's got a good sense of humor. She's kind of she's really sweet, you know. I I really do like the change for if the, because of the way that they changed that character. I like that she's watching the the the, the talk show. Yeah, you know, wh- wh- the, or the game show, yeah. and then how the game show is what talks to her. I I did like that sequence. Um, it's it's not as creepy as Jesus talking to you, but <laughs> we've had Jesus talking a lot, you know. And it's good to see some 1990s commentary into those Fox game shows creep their way into ABC miniseries. Yeah. Dan, from what you can remember, do you how do you like the character of Becca Paulson compared to the the book, the short shrift of the one chapter she gets in the book? I'm gonna cop to it. Um, I don't really remember her all that much in the book. Well, I can't. Um, I can't blame her. She's yeah. literally in one chapter. Yeah, and and I'm I'm. Re- it's funny because I reread Misery and I'm reading the Dark Half now, and but I'm still working on finishing the Tommy Knockers just uh, for how uh, how 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 big of a sucker that is. Well, but although the book is easier to read than the miniseries is, <laughs> is to watch for me. Well, I guess the thing with the miniseries, I'd already seen it before, and I, I knew that no matter what happens, I would be done in three hours, whereas it took me weeks to read the book. So I think that's why it was easier for me to watch the miniseries, even though it took me a whole day to break it up. Um, speaking of the Paulsons, I mean, 
Holy Lord. Joe Paulson and Nancy Voss get a lot, especially Nancy Voss, get a lot more to do oh, in this yeah. miniseries. Let's talk uh, about the casting here, though. The dude, the dude. And there is some sex. We got sex in the mailroom <laughs> multiple times. We got oh sex God. on a pound picnic cake. bench. We'll talk about the pound cake later on. But, <laughs> Mac, I, I, I forget the actor. You know, we, it's funny. We brought up the actor who plays Joe because he was in the film uh, by the director of – it's Cliff DeYoung. Cliff yeah. DeYoung, yeah, yeah. Cliff DeYoung was in a movie directed by the, the person who directed Children of the Corn 3, Urban oh. Harvest. We discussed him briefly in that episode. I'm sure – Everybody listening to this episode definitely listen to that Lobstrosity episode. It's funny because the the day before I watched this, I watched The Hunger with David Bowie and Susan Sarandon, and he's in that too. So I just thought, what are the chances I'm watching two Cliff the Young movies back to back? Cliff the Young, best known for me as the the father in Fly the Navigator. Oh, that's right. He was also in a film called Shock Treatment, the sequel to Rock oh, Your Picture gosh. Show. Oh, oh, oh he shock plays treatment. Brad. In the sequel. Oh, wow. He's been in a lot. He still pops up from every now and then. He's a good character actor, but, you know, and then, hold on. Nancy Voss is played by Tracy Lords. Now, this would have been like peak Tracy Lords, right? Oh, absolutely. This was about less than a decade after. Tracy Lords was a very, very, very famous porn star. In the was it late seventies, early eighties, I guess, or just maybe the early eighties. I think the eighties, and she lied about her age, right? That was she the did big, the big thing. She was underage in a lot of those films, and so there's a big controversy about that. And she was kind of drugged out of her mind during that period, and very dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she actually has gone on to have a pretty successful career, not even in B movies, but she's popped up in some mainstream stuff over the last thirty she, years. She's in a Blade. That's yeah. I remember her being the first Blade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's in the yeah, she's in the Rave scene at the beginning of Blade. She was in this really bad horror movie about this uh this 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 kid who gets possessed by a demon and becomes a rock star. I'm not talking about trick or treat. I think it's oh, called Shock 'em Dead or something like that. Anyway, Ooh. it's a real shit movie, but she's in it too. I'm reading right now too. Apparently, she has actually has a song on the soundtrack for Pet Cemetery Two called "Love Never Dies," which I, I don't know what that sounds like off the top of my head. I'm sure we I made fun of it. We Pet definitely Cemetery did. I remember that. Yes. Anyway, so you have Nancy Voss. I mean, she, basically in the book, she's just another one of the the hive mind Tommy knocker, the T Knox, the T Knox. Yeah. And in this, she's you could argue she's like the second villain of the miniseries. Yeah, it's really it's really yeah. strange that why they gave. I think it was they needed some actual people being the villains, so they stepped that up quickly, quick a lot more. They, man, I cannot talk today. They stepped that up much quicker. Yeah. In this, um, just you know, when she uses the lipstick zapper, another great and funny scene though, when, when at the town hall meeting in front of the church, uh, oh, the the knock meeting, when she says what you know that she got rid of the cops. Bobby says, and I quote, like, hold on, let me pull this up. She says, um, you don't have the quote? I have it. Read it. I'm trying to find it. Oh, <laughs> we're keeping all this in there. <laughs> I thought you were saying We, we are no hive mind here at the, at the, at, as, as Mac looks yeah. up the T-Nox quotes. <laughs> I've got a quote. We're, we're doing a no. pound cake section later on. Fuck it. Ultimately, gotta... Bobby says something like, you know, it was unnecessary to zap them. <laughs> I mean, this script is just fantastic. I love it. I love it all. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Tracy and and uh, uh, Tracy, <laughs> Nancy and Joe, all over this. 
banging it out in every room, every chance they get. Uh, you really do feel bad for Becca uh, 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 because of what's going on. In the, I mean, they they do do a good job of like you feeling bad for her. Um, the sympathy is all with her, and you're 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 much more yeah okay with her. You're ready. Her yeah, you're ready for Joe to go. Um, well, you mentioned the zapping of our, my, one of my favorite characters in the book, Benton Jingles, oh. who definitely don't mark the, <laughs> the turn for me in terms of going downhill pretty quick. But um, something I do like about this miniseries is there are no flashbacks. It just goes from point A to Z. So if, you, if you've not yep. read the book, you have no clue as to what's going to happen. Whereas in the book, my God, time is all over the place in that book, especially in part two. So I'll give them that. Some other major differences, though, in terms of the characterizations I want to bring up. As we mentioned, there's no Sissy. There's no John Leandro. There really aren't a lot of outside forces at all. This is a very sectioned-off book, and I think it actually worked. It, it, sh- it could have worked better because of that. I think that was a big problem I had with the book. David is – there's no Altair Four mentioned. David is actually powering – uh, he's like he's in the ship. He could power the ship. Right, he's like and a battery honestly, of the ship. I didn't mind that. It wasn't that wasn't a big detriment. It's fine. It's fine. I actually, it makes well, I actually like the, that change. Yeah. Um, Ev kills Nancy by breaking through the cage. There's not some big in the book. We, there's a huge climax of the whole town using all of their devices to try to kill um, guard before he gets to the ship. Right. But this is very much people show up at the ship, but it's too late, and there's nothing they can do about it. Something that I really think is just absolutely lame and unforgivable and i'm assuming the two of you will agree is what happens with with bobby at the end yeah where he looks her in the eye and essentially gets her to transform back to bobby by saying i know you're still in there and then of course bobby rescues peter and they both live she he i think she has uh, i'm defending this she hesitates, but then when he kills that Tenoch, she gets her energy back. Oh, yes. That's what happens. Still lame. So yeah. they, you find out that the Tenochs have been uh, using each individual person in the town to come back to life, basically. So yeah. they've been sucking their power. That's why they've been deteriorating and their teeth are falling out, which is, you know, makes more sense. I, I think in the book, obviously, they're they're turning into Tenoch, some kind of weird version of a Tenoch, I guess. But, well, we'll talk about um, that in the Nightmares and Dreamscapes part, but um, yeah, well, I, I, I think that the, to give them the easy out of rescuing Bobby, yeah. and a, 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 I'm guessing the whole town, and Peter book, lives, it's just such a... a, a in the a, book, Guard uh, shoots her, right? Yes, he kills what, yeah, her. Right? It's, it's, like, it's yeah. brutal. And I know it's, 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 it's a divisive issue. I think Randall and I kind of like the darkness of that, where Smell... Mel did not like the treatment at all of Bobby throughout the entire book, so I understand where she's also coming from. But they give yeah. them such a romantic ending here, and it's so cheesy and emblematic of what's wrong with Hollywood or ABC adaptations, well, yeah, it's, you know? It's once again taking a book that is not at all about sentimentality, regardless of Bobby's, uh, whether Bobby gets killed or not. Like, the book is not about sentimentality. I think it's about it's about addiction and obsession and get it. And, and now, Grant, I get why maybe that might not make a everyone's favorite movie, but the movie goes so far in the other direction with that ending that I think it's really hard to stomach. I agree hundred yeah. percent. Does anybody have anything else to say about the characters before we move on to our next <laughs> let's, fun let's session? Let's move on. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about the rest of them. Oh, we'll still yeah. talk about there, the characters. There, yeah, I know there are. As we enter <laughs> into that dreamscape, ah, nightmares and dreamscapes. If you think your dreams are disturbing, <laughs> Imagine the nightmares of Stephen King. 
What are you, some sort of a horror movie guy? No, Clyde, I'm a literary guy. So this far, we're just going to talk about, like we haven't already for the last 40 minutes, <laughs> things we didn't like about this miniseries. Spe- let's let's think of specific things, not just grand themes that we've talked about ad nauseum. Mac, okay. can you kick us off? Um, my, my favorite scene in the movie is when, at the end of part one, when they're having the big July 4th parade, and Ruth is, talk- is addressing everyone and telling them basically, like, we've had a really hard year, like, Davey's missing, all these people... Are- and the, they still have the, like, upbeat marching band music playing in the background. <laughs> like, they couldn't just have someone turn that off or stop the band if there was a band while she's telling the town about these awful things. It's so funny. We'll go back and watch yeah, that the, scene. I was dying the laughing. The tone is not consistent throughout the miniseries. Dan? I'm going <laughs> to... I know I meant to, but I want to elaborate on it a little bit. All right, so E.G. Marshall praying to return, return <laughs> Davy Brown. For obvious reasons, I mean, there's the corniness, the music, um, how long it goes on, all that. And that's no shade to E.G. March, Marshall, who's great in Creepshow, he's great in everything else. Um, it, I think because he's looking skyward, all I could think about was that scene in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where he's staying <laughs> in Rusty's bed and Johnny Galecki's bed, and he's, like, looking at the ceiling. You don't know what he's looking at, and they pan up, and he's staring at some, some like, hot poster, like an <laughs> 80s babe. And so I just, like... On top of that scene sucking anyway, like I just couldn't take it seriously at all. Um, so that's, pr- I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's the worst thing. There's there's a piece of pound cake that is pretty bad that I'll save. But uh, that yeah, that's the thing I just kept like laughing at and kept, I, kept thinking. Now, about. you know, because, you know, as you know, I watch uh, the Tommy Knockers miniseries annually. So now from now on, every year <laughs> when I sit down around, <laughs> around February to watch it, I'll think of that scene. Um, I've got something here, and, and Mel brought it up in the in the book episode, but that <laughs> the standing ovation for Guard's poem, <laughs> so oh, love it, it's oh, so that, bad. Like, guy like the, like the, the slow, it, it's the slow <laughs> clap, and then everybody starts to clap. It's so generic and base level boilerplate studio drama. It's did, you, unbelievable. did you notice that the, the first guy to stand up and clap is actually is the guy that ends up serving him drinks at the, the Oh no, so probably, they're on the they're on the house Mr. Gardner. It, it, it reminds like, you of a, it reminds you of like a, like in Decker and where the where Decker <laughs> sings the karaoke song and they're oh my god cuz cuz this poem kind of sucks too. You know, way so. to go way, way to go man. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh Mac, you have something else here. Yeah, that line I was talking about is actually Zapping them was unnecessary. <laughs> uh, I think zapping my them favorite was my favorite scene is when Eve uh, when Ev sorry sorry excuse me Ev is researching the Micmac Woods and finds out they're cursed. Something he tells Hilly in the first scene we see him in. It's like. What's the revelation here? You knew they were cursed. You are. You told him that in the beginning. It's so uh, stupid. Well, and and that, tie, that does tie to it. Even though I gave the book a higher rating, I think one of my main issues with the book, and thus the miniseries, is that Stephen King never quite settles on what kind of horror he wants to embrace. Like, it's like, okay, it's aliens, but it's also kind of like the Indian burial ground thing. And then it's sort of creepy dolls. It's just, like, all over the place, you know what I mean? Like, that, that was something even... Even as someone who likes the book a little bit more, I remember being frustrated about about like, all right, like what what is this exactly? You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that it ha- not that we have to know it's aliens right away, but just it, fe- it feels very scattered. It's, it's a it's a greatest hits, you know. It's a greatest hits, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, the Bobby Guard axe fight at the end is 
totally laughable. Oh, in the in the spaceship. It, well, it's just so such a departure. It's like what is going I know. on? Uh, I think I don't like the that Bobby and Guard are just in a straight up um, generic. I use generic again, but it's the fact uh, the safe r- relationship already. They live together. I like the dynamic from the book much more. I think that's something that they changed. I do not like. Yeah. I have a uh, I have a question for you guys since yeah. we're kind of good or bad parts. How do you feel about the actual aliens? Which I know they in the book they don't come to life like they do in the. They don't come to life at all in the book. Um, I but I have to say I actually don't mind the creature design. I actually thought the aliens held up kind of well, better than the human stuff does. But what, uh, what about you guys? Are they are they totally cheesy looking? Too? I, I'll just say this reeked of if Dino De Laurentiis had produced this. This was definitely a moment where he was probably like, hey, Louis Teague, Larry Cohen, we, we, we got to get the aliens in there. We've got to get the <laughs> aliens. And like, that's the whole point of the, of the book is that they're all dead and, and they've been a dead species. No, we got to get a big alien like from that Ridley Scott movie in there. That's what it reeked of to me. Like, well, we got to have aliens, guys. It's about aliens. I think it would have just been really effective had we seen even just the... I like the I like the shadow of the alien. You know, like 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 they're coming alive. They are coming back, but we don't actually ever really see them. I think yeah. that that would have worked a lot better for me, because uh, yeah, I, I don't mind the creature design, but again, it's just you know they show way too much of it. I wish it was in the dark more, and that's clearly like a soundstage. You know, <laughs> I agree. I have something else here. I I I know it was impossible due to the budget. I guess. But one of my favorite parts of the book is the fact that they are slowly turning into aliens. And there's some great gross body horror going on in that book. Yeah. Which, you know, if you, I'm, I'm assuming you've read the book or listened to our episode. So go back and listen to that. But I don't like how here they basically just become paler and kind of lose teeth. You know, that was a little disappointing. But obviously there's only so much you can do with the, the budgetary constraints that I'm sure that they had. Right. Dan, do you have anything else? I think that's it. I feel like I'm forgetting about oh, something really horrible. No, yeah, you I remember back. something, Dan, if I can jump in. <laughs> Bobby's at the vet. We've got every animal in there. We've got owls. We've got <laughs> dragons. We've got cobras. Oh, I mean, it is yeah. fucking nuts. In Maine? For such is a there, small is, town. Now, I granted, was there like an alligator in there or something? <laughs> no, 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 I'm telling you, there's like a, dry, a giant like Komodo-looking dragon yeah. in there. You're like... What the heck? I I mean, I know this is New Zealand, folks, but holy shit. Yeah, they, this they is really... not indicative of, a, of, of, you know, a pet, uh, a, a vet. <laughs> like crazy. A couple other things. I, I like how the book really leans on the fact that it's, it's sci-fi by just having it be a flying saucer. And then this is just a bunch of columns sticking out of the ground. So weird. Like, I don't I, like the whole box yeah. factor of the, the boxiness of it. I figured they could have saved a lot of money if they just made it a dome. Well, the thing, thing she you know? trips on in the beginning just looks, it really does just look like a gutter pipe or something underground. So yeah. it, it's just like, why would you even investigate this further? <laughs> Except for when she touches it, I guess. But, and I guess I, uh, I watched it growing up, but are we supposed to believe that it's the fireworks that truly infect the townspeople because they're all looking at them. Yeah, as opposed I think, to the book where it's just kind of bleeding from the ground and slowly possessing. Them. It was already doing a, that. Well, isn't sorry, there's something about like a clock tower. Like the clock tower takes off like a rocket ship, right? But that doesn't that's not serve. A, yeah, no, that's not no, the main. That doesn't either. serve the same function as the that's just to alert that. outside people that something's yeah. going on in the town. But in this, yeah, the, the, this is it's supposed to be like okay, now they're all becoming infected. Yeah, that's kind of lame too. 
Oh, can I end this section on the quote of the film for me? The great quote from this movie? Sure. Please do. It's just before Bobby escapes with David. She looks at guard one last time. Oh my god, I wrote this too. Right, here we go, ready? It wasn't the plate that kept them out. It was you. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> oh man. The thing of nightmares wow. and dreamscapes. What better way to wrap up that section? So let's move on to a section that we'll find us discussing things that we actually found effective and, and quite scary. In some instances, we're going to take a trip to the cemetery. What's the bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all. Uh, yeah, <laughs> there's some stuff in here. I actually... Let's I, go in the circle if we've got a couple yeah, minutes. Yeah, so for me, um, I actually think it's pretty creepy, the doll sequence, when the dolls start killing Ruth, the, the thing that they're saying over and over again to her. Yeah, you know, I too, think that's too actually late, pretty too good. Too late, Ruth, or something like that. Or yeah. I, 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 I actually thought that that worked. I mean, it's it's out of place. It doesn't happen in the... <laughs> well, it kind well, it of happens. I mean, the they book, talk, but they don't attack her. They don't yeah, attack yeah, her and like, her. And, it's just yeah, yeah. the bats attack her. Um, in the but book. they talk to her. But I, I, I kind of liked that. That was there was some good um, puppetry. Well, because I liked there. yeah, there's some puppetry, and I liked the fact that there were different types. There was a raggedy Ann. There was a Nutcracker. Yeah, that was the scariest I, I, that, one. That, that, that kind of worked pretty good. <laughs> okay, um, I'll go next here. I still think that opening and it, it kind of recurs throughout the miniseries of of guard oh, dreaming yeah. and running in the woods, and her turning around with the green eyes. I, I remember watching that miniseries, and I, I thought, this is going to be a very disturbing four hours. I think that's the creepiest part of the whole miniseries is that opening when she turns around looking emaciated in that hoodie with the green eyes, and, and you're just kind of left in this, what is happening here? Yeah, I don't that, know. That Dan, what do you think? creeped me out when I was a kid, yeah. Man, i got to be honest. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because... <laughs> I'm trying to think with well, like Dan, part two, especially. I was, I was zoning out. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like that creature design. I, 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 I have... <laughs> I imagine to say I'm freaked out by it because there's like no point where I was like, ooh, that's creepy. Um, okay, I'm, all right, I got one. It wasn't as effective this time around, but when I was a kid, I remember Jimmy Smith being launched into space and his nose bleeding profusely and knowing he was going to die is kind of disturbing me. But I don't know, the, that was a lot more cheesy this time around, yeah. too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, as a kid, I remember being like, ooh, this ending is really dark and cool. But Well, you know, I will say, though, about that ending is a big problem I had with the book is that it's all that fucking work for 600 pages and he just has to put on some headphones to take off. In the movie, yeah, though, I mean, point. this thing, he puts on whatever, but it, it drills its, so, its way into his head. So that's a little yeah. more damaging, a little more scary and, and violent as opposed to just putting on old Panasonic headphones and, and going off into space, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I, yeah I, guess say... I'll, I, guess I'll go, I guess I'll go with that. That's like, that's like my pick. Um... I've got one more, Max. If you want to list off whatever else you've got. Yeah, well, just on the guard thing real quick, I was just going to say that I I do remember that being one of the first things I, I saw where, like, the hero just sacrifices himself or dies. Like, I just remember that being really off-putting to me that, that he didn't survive because, you know, I, I liked him as the, the Yeah, the, the it was like kind of um, but, but, yeah, going back to the scary stuff and uh, stuff that did work, um, I still think Peter Paddling 
in like, oh, the tub. Oh, yeah, that still works. Uh, is still creepy. Like, he's when he's hooked up to the yeah, machine. Yeah, that's sad. Just, just like, dog yeah. paddling forever. And, <laughs> like, and in the creepy. book, yeah, Peter, Peter dies in the book, too, right? Yeah. Which yeah. Is, of course uh, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I do hate when dogs die. Hey, look, don't get me wrong. I hate when dogs die, but it was obviously more effective that he dies in the in the book. We're now silent. I've got one last thing I can close it on. Okay. Um, in the miniseries... Which, once again, takes place in New England, right? It takes place in Haven, New England. Hilly wears an Oakland A's hat. (laughs) There is no way in hell that kid would be allowed to walk around town wearing an Oakland (laughs) Athletics hat. I have a question for you. It's Red Sox or or nothing. I might push back. Well, maybe this isn't the same. All right. So when I was a little kid, I was eight. I was living in uh, um, Clinton, South Carolina. And I really wanted a baseball hat from the gas station. And I chose the Oakland A's, not because I knew anything about baseball or sports in general or the A's, but I just thought it looked cool. So I was in South Carolina wearing okay. an Oakland A's hat. But well, with got, that, no, you do yeah. know why? Because there are, there's for, no team. One, really. there are no teams in South Carolina, and two, the Boston Red Sox fans don't live in Clinton, South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a big Boston Red Sox fan base in Clinton, South Carolina. Yeah. Well, isn't weird? I've also been in Clinton, South Carolina for some reason. Maybe I was driving through. Wait, really? Yeah. Uh, you should, do they still uh, beat kids at school? Because uh, that happened when I was there. <laughs> Cor- uh, corporal punishment was South was Carolina. I'm going to yeah, land. There's somebody who lived in the Carolinas, so I can say this and say I believe everything you just said. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember making myself vomit before school, so I wouldn't have to go because I was so afraid I was going to get hit. But hey, we'll oh, save that for wow. another. Yeah, that's, that's our next yeah. episode where Dan yeah. talks about his childhood. <laughs> well, uh, what Dan just said childhood. is far more disturbing than anything in this section. <laughs> that's I true. think we're gonna. I think the sun is rising. I think it's time to head out of the cemetery. And I'll tell you what, though, it was a long night there. Maybe because I had the dirt all over me because I was in a cemetery. But I have to say, I am starving is anybody else starving yeah i'm pretty hungry Damn. yeah me too yeah definitely let's let's skip our meal and head straight to, des- to dessert i'm stumbling i'm so excited <laughs> let's have some pound cake after all you've been taught everyone in bad mama everything in the sin come to your closet and pray ask to be forgiven he's a nice boy mom you like him you really like him mama Dan, i'm curious you said that there was something you wanted to mention i think maybe quote wise <laughs> So go, you go first. It's when, it's, it's when you start hearing their thoughts in the post office. And I, <laughs> I think it's, uh, uh, who, sorry, who's the guy, Tracy Lords? Uh, Joe. Really that, uh, yeah, Joe. Joe. Yeah. I think it's him. I, maybe I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she hears something like, Oh God, I haven't been this horny since I was 16. Or yes. he, I, yeah, I just yeah. he says, he says the word horny unironically, which Always makes me laugh. I, I, I like like that was the most entertaining part of the miniseries for me. I, I, yeah, I do love the earnest use of horny. <laughs> yeah, because he says it too. Like, oh, like I'm so horny. Like, it's, it was but great. She, it was. Even Tracy Lords, even Nancy says something like, "Like God, he's so hot." And I just thought, <laughs> what? Yeah, I thought, no offense. What? To Cliff Are we Young. talking about? No offense. Like, I, this is like not this like strapping, you know, hot hottie. You know, like, and and I don't buy that she's with him. I don't buy that she works at the post office. I don't. I don't buy a lot of this movie. But yeah, that that whole relationship so bizarre. Well, this the the the, the sex throughout the the miniseries is so out of place. It's well, just and goofy I, as hell. I, I think the thing too is like you know I'm not. I think it'd be bad of us to say like, oh, like a guy like that can't get a woman like that, or vice, or blah blah. blah. But no, the problem no is, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think they can. <laughs> I'm, kidding, I'm, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. For for me, it's more like the the miniseries traffics and stereotypes the entire time. 
time. Oh, yeah. And so it, it feels weird for that one <laughs> relationship to be kind of like off kilter a little bit. I don't know. It's, um, but yeah, the, the talks, I mean, there, there's, there's not like any graphic nudity really, but they, there's a lot of pound cake in this for being a, a network TV miniseries. Yeah. Well, what, what about you guys? Um, yeah. The, the Bryant and Nancy hookup near the end. What was, do we need that? Uh yeah yeah we because we needed Carradine to be in more sequences. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like, like we don't scenes. care about that character. He's a total asshole in the beginning when he is a regular person. So seeing her like get it on with him after the fact, it's like, well, who cares? Because he's already an asshole. You reminded me. What of, do we care? It reminded me of later on in with Harold and Nadine in the stand in the miniseries. That kind of yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of him that inventing kind of something and. Like Skinamax. Oh yeah, real, real, real hot stuff. I guess that's the one thing I thought was really interesting was like the the Tinox seemed to like get everyone really sexually charged up. Hey guys, when, when I was lo- I was looking for the exact uh, how, what that quote was, and what came up, <laughs> I just I feel like Tommy Knocker is like I'm so horny or something. And some message board about the Tommy Knockers came out, and uh, so someone just started like, yeah, apparently the Tommy Knockers make everyone horny. <laughs> <laughs> They do apparently. It's so sure, weird. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Bobby, and it's not even. It's not even. It, she's just like really horny. Like she's not even doing it for any reason. In the book, it makes sense. But well, like, I'll say of, this though. You know the old urban legend that says, you know, like isn't it Mountain Dew? If you drink a lot of Mountain Dew, does it get you horny, or is it the opposite? <laughs> are you saying because the Mountain uh, Dew's green? <laughs> yeah, yeah Tommy, exactly. Tommy's green. Teenock drink. Teenox. Well, Choice it's, of the Teenox. Uh, yeah, the actress playing Bobby being in both Species and this. It's you know, hype, uh, people who get hypersexualized by aliens. I mean, it's just uh, cornering the market. Oh, there's a little trivia I forgot to mention here, too. And that is, do you know who the driver is who gives guard that lift into Haven at the beginning of the movie? I do not. He looked very familiar to me because I knew that he used to be the president of the Screen Actors Guild. Oh. And listen to this. He's Alan Rosenberg. He's uncredited. But not only was he the SAG president, and you know me and my, my deep knowledge of, of the Screen Actors Guild, he also appeared in L.A. Law with Jimmy Smits. Hmm. More importantly, guess who he was married to at the time? Yeah. Mark Heldenberger, who played Bobby. Really? So there you go. A little, uh. Uh, little trivia for all you folks out there who are probably screaming this entire time. Please mention him. Please mention Alan Rosenberg. Do you have any, any further pound cake? There's quite a lot of it in here. I mean, there's a lot of it, but a lot of it's so uh, repetitive. There's not a whole yeah. lot to really dive, to really sink our teeth into, I guess you would say. Mac, nothing? Uh, I thought it was really hot when Jimmy pulls his own tooth out. <laughs> no, really I don't hot. have anything else. All right, well, let's get the hell out of here. Let's, let's move on to our, one of our last categories. I'm really upset to have to stop talking about T-Nox, but let's move on to King's Dominion. There's another world out there. I know there is. I've only got one. Really? Uh, off the top of my head. Two. I got a few. Um, the the line when Ruthie, Ruthie's like talking about Peter and she's like, oh, you know, he's acting like a regular Cujo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my <laughs> I thought that was yeah. um, pretty great. Uh, what are the other... Were these... Other than the fact that it takes place, or the dairy and all that, like in the book, but well, yeah, dairy is mentioned. Okay, yeah, yeah they didn't they yeah. didn't have to mention dairy. So oh, okay, that's mentioned. true. That's true. Go ahead, um, Dan. You've you've got something. I've got a couple more. Yeah, it was just it was the Cujo reference, and then dairy. I, you know, I was 
I didn't think they had it in uh, in the miniseries, but I was really hoping I was misremembering, and we would get that scene where uh, Pennywise is on the side of the road waving with the balloons. But uh, but I yeah, we didn't uh, get that. Out. So so good in the book. So good. Yeah, in the book. especially if they're trying to connect this to it. You know, that's a good way to do it. But well, uh, I'll tell you what. I'm answering my own question here with my notes. Remember earlier I asked, why do we think that they changed Ruth's last name? Yeah, why did they? Well, let's think about this. What other character in the Stephen King universe has the last name Merrill? Oh, Ace Merrill. Maybe that's why. Maybe that was a little joke. Uh, oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's fine. Do. That makes sense. And it's yeah, also Castle Rock. And Well, not, this isn't Castle Rock, but it's close enough, you know? Yeah. All right, that's fine. That's, I put that down as a little King's Dominion. Obviously, you mentioned earlier that the Micmac tribe... Which is oh, yeah. yeah. A huge part of Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. is mentioned. And something we mentioned in the novel episode, the G.I. Joe character Crystal Balls mentioned. Guess who came up with the idea as a kid and won a contest in the 80s? Owen King. Oh. And so Crystal Ball was an Owen King invention. And I think there was some trade off where somebody else was kind of named after Stephen King or something like that. Anyway, you can look Weird. that up online. But Crystal Ball also. Routinely voted as one of the worst G.I. Joe characters in the history of G.I. Joe. <laughs> I don't remember much of him. I don't oh, believe I had that yeah, character. I don't think I remember that. Uh, I didn't even remember that being a character. I wasn't as much in it. I was more of a Transformers kid. Yeah, I so, remember like uh, the yeah. fridge over that. But. Dan was much more of a T-Forms kid. We were, we were a bunch <laughs> yeah. of T-Noxes. BB and T-Forms, yep. Well, that's all I've got for Kings Dominion. I think it's time to at long last put this uh, T-Nox to rest by moving on to our final thoughts. Dad, can we go now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing. Mac, would you like to kick this one off? On a yeah, scale, this... of course, from one to five, bright red, bright red, bright white, red, red Pennywise clown, clown noses. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with a with a one. Both uh, well, I'm giving this worse than the book <laughs> because at least the book had that quarter of good stuff with Guard Bobby in the beginning. This is just, it's just a tough. It was a hard watch. I spent most of the time like taking notes and looking at my phone, like letting it pass by me, and it just before my eyes it was just, just droning, and it was just for only being a two part miniseries. It felt longer than the stand. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just didn't. I didn't really love it at all. Uh, the aliens didn't hold up for me. I, I wish they had. Um, the the perfor- some of the performances are are, are decent, but it it, it didn't uh, didn't work. Damn. Yeah, you know, I feel like I'm often the one who uh, is pretty lenient on grading, but I'm gonna go with a one as well, man. I, I I could have dealt with it being outdated. I could have dealt with corniness, but do anything but bore me, you know what I mean? And this was, at the end of the day, for the smallest positive things I had to say about this, this was a boring, boring slog. Like you, Justin, I had to break it up into like four or five sittings, I think, <laughs> over three days. It was really hard to get through. And I, li- and I, and I like Jurassic World, you know? So, uh, so that's just that, Yeah, exactly. So you know Dan yeah. did not like this. <laughs> yeah, it, it was... It was bad, yeah. Uh, what about you? I, well, for me, I was bullied into giving Tommyknockers a zero, even though we always say it's a scale of one <laughs> to five. So really, I gave, <laughs> I gave it a one. And for me, I mentioned all the things I, I liked, quote-unquote liked. I, I found a lot of this to be one step forward, one step back. Anything that was improved upon was made worse, ultimately, or something else was made worse. Another decision was made worse. And 
you know, not to get too repetitive, but I just found it to be very. It was it was the boring miniseries equivalent of the boring book, and I too will give it a one out of five. That's right. I believe that Children of the Corn two and three are better than the Tommy Knockers miniseries, and I am not afraid to say it. I would agree. I would agree. Um, so Children should... of the Corn two. I mean, once again, it has a lot of interesting stuff, and there's some genuinely freaky scenes. But and three's got some good stuff. special effects. Yeah. Uh, before we go, we should also mention that. I just realized the Tommyknockers will never be behind us because, damn it, James Wan, whose Aquaman is a huge hit, is going to be producing a Tommyknockers movie that we should probably expect to see within the next year or two. Oh, isn't it called The Trench? No, that's the Aquaman <laughs> uh, spinoff. I know, but those trench. things look anyway, just like the Teenage. But yeah, I mean, they've got a writer hired. I don't know if James Wan's going to direct it, but you bet your butt out there, you bet your little butts. That because of the Stephen King Renaissance, we are absolutely going to see a Tommyknockers movie in the next year or two. So okay. we've got that to look forward to. Real quick, who's Garden Bobby? I, I can't even begin to imagine that. I'm trying to block it from my mind, much like Guard tries to block his memories and thoughts from all the T-Knocks in Haven. But, uh, well, listen, I've had a great week talking about the Tommyknockers for, for <laughs> hours. But it's time for me to put on some headphones to let them drill themselves into my head and fly off into that beautiful Milky Way out there and blow myself up. <laughs> this has been a long process. We've been talking, you know, all joking aside, though, this is one of the earliest things that I believe, especially Randall and I were talking about getting to Tommyknockers and having a nice discussion about it. And it was a lot of fun going back and forth with him and obviously going back and forth with you two and, and Mel. So um, the Tommyknockers is behind us, but don't worry. We'll be back in Haven before we know it, I'm sure. So... The next book we'll be covering, which will be airing, I guess, in about a month or so, is The Dark Half. And spoiler alert, I've read it before, but I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit so far. Again, there's a lot to glean from that, especially if we've, after this big reread we've been doing in terms of where King was and the whole Bachman thing. But we won't talk about it too much in case you haven't read it, but definitely start reading that. We are returning to Castle Rock for that book as it well. Al- it also is the last of the King 80s books. You're right, because so, before we know, we'll be talking about oh, the Kings. Oh, is it really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Isn't that insane? King is right yeah. around the corner. King is right around the corner. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes, and wherever you rate and review your your favorite iTunes shows, your iTunes shows, <laughs> your podcast <laughs> shows, there's nothing left to say besides, of course, that wonderful line, um, it wasn't the plate that kept them out, it was you. But I'll, I will say <laughs> this, and I'd like the two of you to join me. Long, long days, days, long days, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. <laughs> I don't know if we'll ever get that right. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's hard. I'm not, yeah, it's all about the eye contact, which I don't have right now. So yeah. <laughs> Bye, T Knox. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want some. Consequence Podcast Network.
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out, and we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.